Hello, you're listening to City Beat, a partnership between Riverwest Radio and UrbanMilwaukee.com. I'm your host, Jeremy Janine, president and co-founder of Urban Milwaukee, and today we'll spend the next half hour looking over recent news affecting Milwaukee. We'll start the show talking about five Milwaukeeans worthy of thanks, part of an annual uh, Thanksgiving Day tradition on Urban Milwaukee. We'll then be joined by Urban Milwaukee editor Bruce Murphy to talk about Foxconn and its status under Governor-elect Tony Evers. And if uh, worlds align, and it looks like they will, Alderman Nick Kovac will join us in the studio to talk about uh, the recently approved city budget and what the council did to the mayor's five vetoes. And we'll close the show with this week's pedestrian observation, looking at snackdowns or snow neckdowns and how snowfalls can teach us about better street design. Uh, stay with us. Spirit of Thanksgiving, uh, Urban Milwaukee always likes to take a look at five Milwaukeeans worthy of your thanks. And this year, as no different than the ones before it, we found five individuals. We found way more than that, but uh, we'll settle on just these five uh, for this year. They represent a wide swath of the community. They work at for-profit businesses. They're real estate developers. They're also uh, large are leaders of some of the city's largest nonprofits. Uh, they're community advocates and community developers looking to reshape the neighborhoods they grew up in and there are also people launching new businesses in the city uh, the first of those is sharon adams who moved back to the city uh, a couple of years or not a couple of years ago a couple of decades ago now and found her lindsey heights neighborhood in shambles compared to what it would look like uh, she didn't stand idly by she launched the walnut way conservation corp uh, which has received a number of awards along the way but has laid quite the track record of redeveloping lindsey heights and the surrounding area, uh, much of Lindsay Heights falls in the 53206 zip code, which has earned uh, the unfortunate distinction of the state's highest incarcerated zip code. Uh, so there's a real uh, problem there and a desire to see things improved. Uh, and Sharon Adams has led the way. Uh, she also has the distinction of being the first mother-daughter uh, duo. Her daughter, Joanne Sabir, uh, was a someone we recognized last year as part of our efforts uh, to give thanks to Milwaukeeans that are doing great work. Uh, Joanne Sabir, and I'm sure Sharon will be there, will formally launch the Sherman Phoenix on Friday afternoon, Friday, November 30th, along West Fond du Lac Avenue. The event is open from the public from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, next up is Brendan Conway. Uh, Brendan Conway has led the Milwaukee County Transit System's communications and marketing for the past three years. His job has been one that's difficult. I think every year MCTS has had to deal with either declining budgets, raising fares, or a combination of both. And along the way, he has really leveraged technology to change the face of the city's bus system. And you can learn more about a lot of this at urbanmilwaukee.com slash podcast. But you'll find that Conway has leveraged these new high-definition cameras, uh, the new high-definition cameras on the buses, to show drivers finding lost children, show drivers uh, interrupting domestic violence. Uh, most recently, they found shelter uh, for a homeless Milwaukeean. And this has all been going on with uh, Conway's support and shining the light on the many rank-and-file uh, operators, mechanics, and everyone that kind of makes MCTS hum. Uh, next up on our list is Angela Damiani. She leads uh, New Walkie. She is one of the three kind of co-founders of the organization. Uh, her and Jeremy Foyet 
uh, really transformed the organization in the last two years into quite the juggernaut, uh, looking at events like uh, the Urban Island Beach Party and Lakeshore State Park and how that's a great fundraiser um, for the only urban state park in the uh, state. And then looking at events like New Walkie's Night Market, which I joke without Angela, it would be a bunch of people standing in front of the Grand Avenue Mall looking at food trucks. Uh, with her, it becomes a gathering for thousands. Um, she is not only a young professional, but leading the Young Professionals Week. And we look forward to seeing how she deals with uh, the future as she goes from being a young professional to trying to lead a young professional group while aging herself. Uh, good luck to Angela and her team. We're thankful for everything you do. Next up is another young Milwaukeean making a big impact, Q Elamine. Uh, he was barely on my radar before 2017, but in the last 18 months, the quieted developer uh, has really made an impact in Milwaukee. He's launched a number of projects, most prominently a plan to develop affordable housing in Old North Milwaukee uh, in partnership with a number of other uh, up-and-coming developers. He's also looking at a project in Sherman Park, another affordable housing development. And then just last week, uh, news broke that Q was looking at purchasing the Wildenberg Hotel, one of the oldest properties in the city on South 27th Street. Uh, I look forward to seeing more from Q over the next couple of years. Him and his brother Khalif Elamine are heavily involved in the community and are looking at not just ways to improve themselves, but ways to improve many of the other businesses through programs known as the Blueprint and the Cultivator, uh, both business accelerator uh, organizations. And last but not least, Jonathan Jackson, who leads the Milwaukee Film Festival. The organization is in its 10th year, or just celebrated its 10th film festival. Uh, the festival might actually be the smallest thing it did this year in terms of what's taking up Jonathan's time. Uh, they took over operations of the Oriental Theater with a 31-year lease. They've also relocated their offices into No Studios, an interesting project in the brewery that's designed to serve as the community hub. And while that often uh, is good news and there's lots going on there, uh, Jonathan has not tuned out the world. He's not just escapism in a movie theater. Um, his organization has led a number of social justice initiatives, including premieres of the 53206 documentary. We talked about that zip code before. Uh, he also hosted the uh, Milwaukee premiere of filmmaker Eric Young's documentary on the Dontre Hamilton shooting, and they introduced a Women in Film Audience Award this year to encourage gender equality in the scandal-ridden film industry. So congratulations to the 2018 class of Milwaukeeans we're thankful for. Uh, we look forward to figuring out who's up next year. And next, I want to bring in Urban Milwaukee editor Bruce Murphy to talk about Foxconn and what's going on now that there is a new governor. Bruce, how are you? Pretty good. Good afternoon. So tell us, bring the audience up to speed. We have a new governor, We have, uh, our, but the governor's not in office yet. What should people expect with Foxconn? Well, uh, so newly elected governor, Democrat Tony Evers, has basically said he thinks it's a bad deal, but he doesn't think there's much that can be done about it. Uh, and uh, Matt Flynn, an attorney, longtime attorney, who ran in the Democratic primary and lost, has argued that this uh, contract could actually be overturned uh, on legal grounds. Uh, and so he's basically pushing the idea that the governor, Governor Evers, and newly elected Attorney General Josh Call should consider legal action on this. And there's no word whether either of them are interested, but uh, Flynn and another attorney uh, who works for the Chicago uh, uh, corporate office of uh, Honigman Business Law Firm, David uh, DeBruyne, who's a Milwaukee resident, 
the two of them have been working for months trying to map out what a potential suit could involve. And what is the crux of Flynn's argument? I see in the article you kind of talk about um, some different uh, options, I guess there are different rules that Flynn is uh, leveraging, but explain to the audience what his argument is. So there are two areas that he argues you could have a legal challenge to Foxconn. And the first revolves around the idea that you can't pass a special law that only benefits one party. And that's actually based on the Wisconsin Constitution, which has a, such a uh, uh, statute included in the Constitution. Uh, and he's basically saying that there were three special things given to Foxconn that no other business can benefit from. First of all, Foxconn was exempt from certain provisions of the state law regulating wetlands. Secondly, Foxconn was exempt from a state law requiring that all businesses, you know, any manufacturing plant has to do an environmental impact statement. And Foxconn was exempted from that. And thirdly, Foxconn has been given special legal treatment that I've never heard of for any business organization of, or person of any kind, which is that any legal claims against them can simply bypass the state court of appeals and go straight from circuit court to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And what's the benefit to Foxconn with that provision? Well, it uh, first off, it means less litigation costs for them. Secondly, it means one less kick at the cat. Uh, you know, if the appeals court looks at it, let's say that they, whether they win or lose in circuit court, if it gets appealed to the Wisconsin appeals the court, you've got another set of judges looking at it, and you're developing more uh, opinions, more looks, more potential that they'll discover a reason why this thing should be uh, overturned. Instead, it goes straight to the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court, and the Wisconsin Supreme Court has a, you know, a record now for years of being very loyal to anything Scott Walker and the Republicans pass. So to go straight from circuit court to that court is a pretty good deal. Now ex explain to me, Flynn is talking about a legal challenge. Where would that legal challenge happen? Does it happen in Milwaukee County Circuit Court, Racine County, uh, the state Supreme Court? Does it go the whole way to a federal issue right away? Well, in the case of this uh, special treatment uh, that he's suggesting a suit, that would have to be done by Wisconsin citizens. I mean, the state government couldn't, you know, in an essence, sort of sue itself, saying that, well, we passed the wrong law. So uh, Flynn and DeBruyne, as citizens of Wisconsin, could uh, sue the state as citizens. And there have been pa uh, such suits in the past uh, under this provision. Uh, so that's how that would work, and they would have to file uh, in circuit court and their chances would be less than usual because of that provision not giving them a chance to argue it in appeals court, so they have one less kick at the cat. So that's one way to go. Now the second area that Flynn has talked about, and, and again both Flynn and De Bruyne sort of mapped this out, is that the contract could be thrown out because uh, Foxconn, Foxconn has violated the contract. Now this would be an opening for the governor and the attorney general, because they could argue, if they wanted to, that Foxconn has violated the contract. And this gets to the idea that when the contract was first signed, the understanding was that uh, 
Foxconn would build these 75-inch TV screens. Uh, they would be uh, it would be largely a manufacturing plant, uh, hiring 13,000 workers. Uh, and now they have announced that they're moving away from that. They're going to do smaller screens in a Gen X plant, as it's called. Uh, and most of the work will actually be done by robots. So it's an entirely different kind of plant than was originally discussed when the contract was signed. It, and what, what's so, the driver there? What was the change? Because we've heard, I guess, d different things. It, it walked the public, I guess, through... Why, why does Foxconn not necessarily control its own destiny with what it can build in Racine County? Well, this always gets to who do you believe? So Foxconn has basically said, well, you know what's happened is that uh, we've got other uh, manufacturers in China that are already doing these 75-inch screens, and so there's no opportunity for us to, you know, that, that horse is out of the barn. We can't do that because, uh, you know, we'd be way behind as a competitor, and there's just no room in the market. But the other thing that happened here is that the whole idea of doing these 75-inch TV screens was dependent on, because these, these screens cannot be transported over a long distance. So the idea behind this was that Owens Corning, or a company like that that manufactured uh, these glass screens, uh, would be co-located at the Foxconn plant. But Owens Corning came out and said, well, we're not to co-locate there unless we get a Foxconn-like subsidy from the state of Wisconsin. And the Walker administration said, no way, we're not going to do that. And as, as a reminder, what is that Foxconn-like subsidy? $4.1 billion at this point. And that includes local money, that includes uh, a federal grant to build some highways, and then a massive state grant, correct? Yeah, $3 billion from the state. Uh, in addition, some state spending on highways, some uh, local TIF, probably some federal contribution to the highways, and also uh, money that the uh, utility payers are going to pay to provide Foxconn with electricity. Uh, so it's quite a range of stuff. And the total bill for that if you take all the households in the state of Wisconsin, the average household will be paying nearly $1,800 for this subsidy for Foxconn. So it's a massive amount of money. Uh, and so the money, that was so much money that at that point the Walker administration felt like there's no way they could give it away any more subsidy. Uh, but there's, there's an open question here. Did they discuss with Foxconn the possibility of providing some kind of subsidy for Corning and then decide that, that the public wouldn't stand for it. There's just no way to know what kind of verbal discussions went on between the Walker administration and Foxconn. Well, thanks for that update, Bruce. Uh, let's gaze into your crystal ball. What uh, will Governor-elect and Attorney General-elect Josh Kuhl and Tony Evers do about this? Well, the one thing Call has said is that his job as Attorney General is to make sure Foxconn lives up to the contract. So at the very least, I think we'll see a less passive administration, both in, and Tony Evers, of course, has also suggested that he doesn't think it's a very good deal. So instead of an administration that's rolling over for whatever Foxconn wants, which is largely what the Walker administration has done, there's going to be a lot of pushback.
And another area where that might be seen is you're going to have a new appointee to head up the Department of Natural Resources. And there's abundant reason to think that Foxconn's plans run afoul of normal state policy on the environment. So it's entirely possible they could be facing some real blowback from the state that could make it harder for them to do the plant as they wanted. It might even make them reconsider it. It's just, I would say this whole thing is going to be very much up in the air once you have a new administration. Well, thanks, Bruce. I know if anyone's keeping track of it, it'll be you. Uh, for anyone that's interested, they can learn more about this story on urbanmilwaukee.com. Murphy's Law is Foxconn contract illegal. Thanks, Bruce Murphy, editor of urbanmilwaukee.com, for joining us. My pleasure. And now we have our first in-studio guest, Alderman Nick Kovac. Is this your first show, too? Uh, technically, yes. Tec- so, okay. <laughs> there was like a practice run that was not there, broadcast? There was a, a lost episode oh, for all lost of time. Episode. Intentionally lost. Good. Well, those are the best kinds. <laughs> uh, so An off-the-record episode? <laughs> An off-the-record, yes. Uh, so, Nick, the city uh, or the council today responded to the mayor's budget vetoes. Uh, tell us a bit about what happened, in particular, one amendment that you were a sponsor of. Yeah, well, we overrode all the vetoes except uh, my amendment. So, <laughs> <laughs> And does that mean they did nothing about that? Uh, no. So I, I don't know. I actually haven't. I, I've been running around today since that meeting. I had another meeting, actually, where we were discussing uh, how to best advise the new governor-elect, Tony Evers. Some East Side progressives were having that conversation, the Astor Street regulars. And then I uh, ran over to Boswell Books with my daughter to buy a book for the library board, which is having its annual christmas party meeting today so the library board gets their books at boswell books i i do okay. i mean board members have to bring a book a donation to the library so ah, I'm, okay. I'm donating uh the righteous reformer fighting bob la follett by nancy unger i know that's not the question you asked i'm just <laughs> i'm just telling you how my day is going so far but that's my excuse for why i assume you've already posted an article right and i haven't read it yes it came up i think even before the meeting was done so what was your lead uh the lead well the headline is uh council slaps down mayor's veto legislative body rejects all five vetoes by mayor tom barrett now when we get in the technicality right the xeno's paradox yeah <laughs> a rabbit hole we went down earlier today during the meeting yeah. uh the amendment you sponsored that involved the milwaukee health department and the milwaukee police department technically his veto was sustained yes we just we just offered a different substitute than the one he had suggested and, and walk the public through that what yeah what was uh your original amendment and then what happened today well, my original amendment was uh, uh, somewhat similar to the amendment I proposed three years ago for the 2015 budget, I think. I think it was three years ago. It might have been four. Um, where I, I, I sort of looked at a mayor's budget, and this was uh, this that happened to be three years ago was the last time this happened, where the mayor proposed an increase in average sworn strength for the average sworn strength for the Milwaukee. Say that five times fast. <laughs> For the Milwaukee Police Department, I mean, roughly speaking, what that refers to is the number of police that are out there, not at any one time, because obviously there's three shifts, police had 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. So saying that there's about 1,800 officers out there doesn't mean at any one time. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> Divide by um, vacations and time off and, peop- you know, 40-hour work weeks. So at any one time, there's probably a third or less than a third of that amount, you know. Um, and so the, the thinking behind this uh, for me was that uh, we're having a budget crisis. No one disputes that, uh, sort of a slow-moving budget crisis, a structural gap in our budget, which um, was always there uh, or would have been there anyway because of the global financial crisis of 2008, which led to pension obligations, which will soon be $100 million, which is 
soon be 20% of our operating budget will be going to pay the pensions. That's $100 million every year. Every year. Right now it's about 80, but it, we expect it'll be at least 100, if not more, in five years. So we're kind of trying to get ready for that. Also, we're getting less money from the state, thanks to uh, thank, thankfully outgoing Governor Scott Walker, who's been not just compared to inflation, but actually cutting. So when you factor in inflation, we're getting $100 million less from the state than we would and have. And that's, in fairness to the governor, something that started under Democratic Governor Jim Doyle. To well, the, a freeze, the freeze started under Doyle. The actual cut started under Walker. Doyle froze it. That is fair, but he didn't actually cut us. and He didn't cut the education the way, he, the way Walker did, although they both borrowed money we didn't have to pay for freeways but <laughs> so this this the city starts every year basically a hundred million dollars short from the state and have, yes and they have to make a hundred million dollar pension payment in the future you round know numbers that's coming. Yeah. round numbers yeah. and so the idea is well if we have to cut everything well shouldn't we also we can't be increasing 50 percent of our budget because the police are 50 percent of our operating budget they're about 300 million just just for the old 1800 police officers and the cars and the technology and in all the expenses. There's a round number is a $300 million budget, uh, which is more than we collect in property taxes. It's more than we get from the state. Um, so the reality is we can't add officers. We just fiscally can't. And then add on top of that the reality that more officers don't lead to lower crime. <laughs> I brought, I actually, I have another book I brought with me <laughs> to the council floor. This is great reading material. Or radio cited, material, yes. Uh, Uneasy Peace, The Great Crime Decline, the Renewal of City Life, and the Next War on Violence, a book which includes an entire chapter on Milwaukee. And uh, and it talks about the national trends and the sociological demographic effects of crime. And it's not that police don't matter. They do. But the idea that you can just flood the zone with police and that will stop crime, it's never been true. Um, there's certainly uh, a, a certain amount of police you need, and you certainly need police to be well managed. But on the margins, in a, in a force of 1,800, six here, 10 there, three here, two there, you know, it just really doesn't make a fundamental difference. Plus, we can't afford it. Plus, we have other pressing needs namely uh, uh, multiple pub overlapping public health crises. And what are those? Those are, well, there's, there's still children with blood in their lead. There used to be um, thousands a year, now there's hundreds a year. We have had a 90% reduction since the 90s in children testing positive for lead in their blood, but there's still hundreds a year. And we've had a scandal of our own making where the mismanagement of the health department meant that we weren't following up with a number of those children. We now have competent management in there but they've got a backlog, and they've also got every day new kids are testing positive. So we need to be more aggressive about following that up. They've even, they've even said on the record, the health department, that resources are an issue, hiring contractors, getting people out there. And so that's one issue. The other is sexually transmitted diseases. We have, if, if, you, look, if you look at a neighborhood level, not a citywide level, we have incredible spikes in several sexually transmitted diseases. And we have rates of infant mortality and mother uh, maternal health that, I again, if you isolate for certain neighborhoods, are third world or worse conditions. So we know if we put nurses to guide mothers through childbirth, we'll save babies' lives, we'll save mothers' lives. We know that kind of investment will save lives. We can't say the same about marginal changes to the average sworn strength of police. So I said rather than hire 10 more police officers than we currently have, let's spend that money on the public health crises that we just mentioned. And uh, there were eight votes. It was eight to seven when it passed uh, on budget day three weeks ago. Today, there were nine votes. It was nine to six in favor of the amendment, but you needed 10 because of the veto rules, which is, that's how it works. That's, I think that's a reasonable way for so, it to work. So stepping back, November 13th, you introduced an amendment to create five positions in the health department plus a special purpose fund. It's kind of a compromise mm -hmm. amendment. Yeah. And then the mayor vetoes that. He vetoes that. 
with it, and he suggests though he's like, why don't you fund the five positions but get rid of the special purpose account, which is four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Correct, and that would get, allow him to hire six officers. That's what he suggested we do, but we were allowed to do whatever we wanted. He just his veto was sustained, so the amendment would no longer applied. So he tried to. It's Zeno's paradox in the sense that he tried to cut the ten in half, roughly in half to six, and then I cut his six in half to three. And how did the council vote on that today? 12 to 3, overwhelming support for the compromise of the compromise. So I think the compromise of the compromise can still be vetoed by the mayor, but uh, you have the 10 votes to overrule. It would appear, unless people switch their votes, and there was enough discussion and debate about this, that I, I would hope that people... Uh, I would, and I would hope the mayor would, in the spirit of him saying, will you take half, he'll now take half of half. So... Now, now that we or half of 60%. <laughs> now that we have reached this point, let's, in summary, yeah. how many new police officers will be in the police department well, next year? Well, I mean, there will actually be, I don't know the exact number of the new, there will be two new classes regardless because the attrition rate is high enough in the police department that every year, even if we're staying the same or even going lower, we have to hire new officers to keep up with attrition. Uh, there's a lot more retirements and, and uh, medical issues there than there are, uh, than there are with uh, the fire department. So, uh, and there's more of them. So there will be classes regardless, but now there will be, uh, we have increased the average sworn strength of the police by three. And then what happens to the health department? And the health department is getting the five new positions to address infant mortality, as well as half of 425,000 in the special purpose account to deal with lead and sexually transmitted diseases. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah, so I think it's an important discussion, and obviously once you get into the wonky details, it starts to sound ridiculous, half of half and all <laughs> this. But for me, this is a discussion I've been trying to have, and I'm glad uh, you let me have it here at River West Radio. Well, what else can you tell us about the city budget? What should the public know in brief? They can know just one thing. What is it? You mean about the actions we took today or just the budget just in general? Just the budget in general. If I want to know, the council spent one, council and the mayor spent $1.53 billion in 2019. What is the one item that's different, per se, than in 2018. I mean, there's not a lot that's, that's different, to be honest. I could point to some of these things on the margins, which are in the, in the famous six-figure range, which is a comment I wish I'd never <laughs> said about the flag, because I was just making that up as I went along. Well, that's the danger of talking to a reporter. It's the danger of talking out loud when reporters are in the room. I never actually said that to you. You just heard me say it at a public meeting, and I shouldn't have said it. Um, but uh, one thing to know about the budget, well, we've already mentioned that uh, police are 50% of the budget, um, of the operating budget. Um, we're, we're doing as much as we can to keep the roads paved, um, but uh, the police and the fire and the roads and the libraries and the public health nurses all come out of the same pot of money. It's our property taxes and it's our sales and income taxes that go to the state and then they keep too much of it and don't give us enough. And it's those famous municipal fees and parking tickets and those kinds of things. That's how we pay for the services we provide, and we have to make a lot of tough decisions, especially with the fiscal realities that we've discussed to start this conversation, which is we're getting less and we owe a whole lot more. So if you like police and firefighters and librarians and you like your potholes filled and your garbage picked up, well, then you're going to have to help the city find a way to get out of this structural deficit. And while I have you and we have about two minutes, let's fly into a segment that lacks the sound effects yet, but they're coming. Yeah. Uh, pedestrian observations. Uh-huh. Uh, let's look at the idea of snack downs or snow neck downs. Snow neck downs. And so neck downs are narrowing of streets. We've yep. seen this. Uh, Brady Street's a good example where mm -hmm. there's curb bump outs. Uh, when the, s the good news about Milwaukee is when the snow falls, we actually get a good idea of how we can reshape our roads without spending any money. 
Oh, just by looking where the cars end up going? Yeah, and where the plows go. Yeah. Um, so we first wrote about this in 2016. I remember that article. And we Good visuals, at, good photos. Yes, Prospect Avenue and Firewall Avenue. I forgot the phrase snack down, but I remember, now that you've described it, I remember. <laughs> yeah, so this is something we'll be watching again this year. Uh, the city has introduced and approved a complete streets Correct. Uh, ordinance. What do you think the city can learn from snack downs? Probably more than we have so far. And we're thinking outside the box, as you can see on Locust and North Avenue, and we're not afraid to throw something up temporarily and hope it works. And so I'm all for throwing up some orange barrels where, where the snow don't go. And, and uh, even in the spring, say, if, if you didn't need this turn lane in the, when it was snowing, why do you need it now that it's not? That's basically the idea, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so you can look at, uh, if you're looking for these out in public, the first time it snows, go to Prospect or Firewall Avenue or your favorite one-way street in your neighborhood mm -hmm. and look at those intersections where it intersects with other streets and there will be areas that are unplowed and the cars still get through, the people still get through, the bikes still get through. Well, before the snow melts, we gotta go, I got to give you a bunch of orange barrels. I'll, we'll deputize you. Head <laughs> right out there. There, <laughs> there we go. Uh, so thank you for everyone for listening to City Beat. I'm Jeremy Janine. We've been joined by editor Bruce Murphy of Milwaukee.com and Alderman Nick Kovac to talk about the city budget and snack downs. So until next week, uh, keep going out there and enjoying the Cream City. Thank you for listening.